Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I, this week I thought to myself, I I know there's a lot of people struggling because uh, I hear about it all the time with some anxiety and maybe a little depression and some um, issues regarding mental health. So I sort of I thought, well, I'm going to try to stack up a whole bunch of guests this week that can talk <laughs> about certain elements and aspects of mental health. I had Dr. Glenn Pickering on yesterday. And today I've got Dr. Andy Scudinga on. Tomorrow I have uh, Jody Goldie on, who's a trauma counselor. And then Friday, Janita Pace and her husband, Tim, are going to be on the show. So I want to spend a lot of time talking about uh, mental health and mental health issues. And uh, Andy is a psychology professor at North Central University right here in the Twin Cities. And I always enjoy having him on the show. Andy, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be yeah. back. I love having you on. So uh, there's a, a whole bunch of things I want to talk about. And one of the things that is on my mind is when people want to share their truth. They 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 need to speak um, something that might be painful to another person, but it's important to speak that truth with compassion. Yeah, uh, I've I've heard that expression. I'm going to be brutally honest with you, and I always think people that say that are oftentimes <laughs> more more brutal than they are honest. And yeah. it's, it's almost like you're giving yourself a free pass. Because I'm being brutally honest, I don't have to care that much about your feelings because I'm going to be brutally honest. Yeah, you're kind of clearing. It's like, it's like clearing ice before putting the sand on it or something. I don't know. That's I, That was a terrible analogy. I'm really sorry. I get what you're saying. People, <laughs> yeah, you're, one of your worst ever. If that I can was just be honest. that was literally for all <laughs> the listeners out there. I'm so sorry. I am. I'll be brutally honest. That was a that was an awful analogy. I didn't think that one through. Uh, okay, check. Is there? Do we have a rewind button for oh, radio? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm going to use it now. Yeah. I think anytime somebody warns you about something like that, it's it's never going to come out good or right. Um, unless you say, I'm going to say something that's going to make you feel really good. That usually turns out okay. Like, hey, you just won a prize or we're going to go to a basketball game together, something like that. But when you're going to get bad news from somebody and they warn you, it's, yeah, it, oftentimes they don't know how else to do it. So, yeah, it's, it's like a pass. Well, sometimes when you have somebody that shares something and they frame it as brutally honest and then they've gone ahead and, and told you whatever it was, uh, you might feel the pain of that for a long time. Oh, yeah. A long, long time. Decades. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that happens to a lot of people, particularly in families. Um, you know, we're, we're supposed to, I mean, it's biblical to speak truth in, in love. Um, I think the truth part is sometimes really easy to do. The love part is often probably pretty hard, especially if we're angry about something or we're hurt and we have our own feelings to share. And you know what? I'm going to tell you my real feelings, and you've hurt me, so I'm going to let you know in a way that kind of stabs you in the heart, too. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's hard not to do that, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Andy, am I giving myself a free pass by using that expression, brutally honest, because 
do I really have to care about your feelings if I'm coming across and I'm going to say, okay, Andy, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Um, am I giving myself a pass? Because maybe I'm going to be unaware of the harm that my words are going to be, but uh, what do I care? Because I'm being brutally honest. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Because it's, we, you know, when we, when we tell people things that are hard truths, it's sometimes born out of love, but sometimes it's, it's born out of anger or, or hurt of our own. And I think many times people don't, they don't really know how to, to do that because maybe they haven't been shown how to do that by somebody else. Maybe the last time they learned some hard truth, somebody said to them, I'm going to, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. And that was painful for them. And so when they have a chance to do it to somebody else, the, the only model that they might have is, well, you just tell everybody, Hey, look, I'm going to tell you something hard. So therefore don't take it personally. Don't feel bad because this is hard one. stuff. I love that one. Don't take it personally. Yeah. When, I've had a few people say it to me in my life too. And it's like, oh, well, I'm, I can almost guarantee you I'm going to take it personally now. <laughs> you, you, yeah. You've just you've just pushed a button that, that oh, all the hair on the back of my neck just stands up like, oh, no, what are you going to tell me? Or, yeah, I think I know what you're going to tell me, and I know I'm not going to like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dr. Andy Scudding is my guest. He is a psychology professor at North Central University here in the Twin Cities. And we're, we're going to talk about a number of things today, just because when I get together with Andy, I usually have several topics I want to cover. And I'm wanting to start with this learning how to speak truth with compassion. Now, if you have been um, a recipient of someone who gave you the, I have to be brutally honest with you, and then it was done in a in a way that was very hurtful. I'd love to hear if that is your story. Um, and then how long did it last? How long did that stick with you? And was there ever any resolve? I know mm -hmm. that's a bunch of questions I've just asked, but if you're so inclined to say, I'm happy to type two or three sentences and send them over, the text line is open just for you. And if we share what you uh, put in the text line, you can, of course, be anonymous. And the number is 877 93 Three, two, four, eight, four, eight, seven, seven, nine, three, three, two, four, eight, four. The question, Andy, is how do we do a better job of practicing truth with compassion? I think this is this is really ironic because I, I teach an intro to counseling skills and techniques class at North Central, and I just covered. We're just starting the semester, and we just talked about this exact topic today in class to nice. future therapists who want to who want to work with various different types of clients. And I was telling them that one of the jobs that you have as a therapist is to tell the truth to your clients, and because the the beauty and and, and easiness of being able to do that from a therapeutic chair, a therapeutic you know kind of spot, is you have nothing to gain and nothing to lose by telling someone else a, a difficult truth. You know, oftentimes clients will come in and they have lots of relationship problems. And one of the things you have to help clients understand is one of the common denominators of their relationship problems is themselves, right? And mm -hmm. that's one of the hard, that's one of the first hard truths of, of a counseling setting is helping clients to see what, well, okay, you've got a lot of relationship issues. What is your role in these issues? It could be different per relationship, but what if in all of your relationships you're exhibiting, you know, this trait or that trait or you're speaking to your friends or families in certain ways that are that are really unhelpful? And how do you and, and a student raised their hand and said, 
how are we supposed to do that in a nice way? I said, well, <laughs> it depends on the client. Some of your yeah. clients, you have a relationship. And again, this isn't necessarily just for therapists, but with friends or family, with some relationships where there's trust built and the person you're talking to knows that you truly have their best interests at heart, you don't have to go in with the preface, the preface this might hurt or this might be hard or this is going to be a brutal truth. If you're good friends and you trust one another or your family want members who love and trust one another, you don't have to preface that. You can just say the truth, but you can say it in a kind way. Hey, I've noticed something that you've been doing lately that I think is really not helpful in your relationships. I want to tell you about it. I think when you are blank, you're hurting relationships. And I really think you should stop doing that or else some things are going to get worse. That's a really nice way of saying, hey, you're being a jerk to people, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But respecting their feelings is also a critical component of, of sharing truth oh, yeah. with compassion. Absolutely. you I mean, you remember, what was it, Mary Poppins? A, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down? Yeah. Yeah, my parents used that one a lot when I was a kid. Um, here's a little sugar to go with your medicine, you know, right? I, I didn't always appreciate that, but, you know, you can you can couch in ways of, look, you're a great friend, and I really appreciate the relationship that we have, and you're so, you know, nice and good and happy, all these nice things. You can say a few nice things and say, however, one thing that I have an issue with you right now is... You're constantly asking me for you know money, and I, I can't take that anymore. I, I want to help you, but I also I'm getting kind of frustrated with this. That it's perfectly okay to speak that truth, and you can you can do it in so many different kind ways rather than just being direct. You don't have to hammer people with truth. You can you can kind of use a little bit of silk with that. It's going to make it hard for me to ask my next question. <laughs> oh, what did I do? So I'll- no, my next question was, <laughs> can I borrow some money? I'm going to skip that one and just move on to a, a beautiful comment made by a listener just came in on the text line. I think some people just have a hard time putting themselves in the other person's shoes. Think of how you would take it if someone said these things to you and then say it in a nice way. And then on top of that, consider that they aren't you and they may take it differently. That's really wise. Isn't that smart? That's very, very smart. Yeah. Yeah. They could be my guest. But I'm glad you're my guest. <laughs> I'm just saying that's really a lot of wisdom, don't you think? It is. It's it's very it's very smart. You know, approaching people with empathy is always a good idea. Hey, you know how how if the if the shoes are switched, how would this feel? If the roles are reversed, how how would this feel? I mean, here's a technique that you can do before you want to tell someone a hard truth. Yeah, reverse the roles and listen to yourself, tell yourself what you want your friend or, or loved one to hear and say, say it out loud mm-hmm. and listen to yourself, say it and practice it in a mirror. Even, I mean, if it's something that it's, if it's something that's really, really important or something that you're really upset or hurt about, there's, it's perfectly acceptable to practice ahead of time. Yeah, and good. if you're feeling really upset to take a break and say, you know, maybe in your head, I really want to tell you the truth right now. Maybe that's a good signal to say, you know what, let's talk about this a little bit later, or can we come back to this? Or one of my least favorite phrases, can we circle back to this? I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I don't like, like that, that one. Yeah. Let's, let's circle back to this. Um, okay. It sounds too circular. Yeah. I mean, but I like that though. Do you ever preface it by saying, I may, um, this might be a difficult truth for you to hear, or uh, are you open to hearing something that I would like to share that might be difficult? 
Um, yeah. Or are you in a place right now where difficult news uh, can be heard and received? Those are all great things okay. to start with. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. So, <laughs> well, those are pretty good right there. Like, hey, are you are are you able to handle something right now that I need to tell you? And I think then it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to like what I have to say. Is now a good time to do that? I mean, even that is better than just punching somebody in the nose with, yeah. "I'm tired of how you're acting," or "I don't like this about you," or "I want you to do this differently." There's so many different ways that we can communicate things to one another. Um, it, it doesn't hurt to practice, and it certainly doesn't hurt to think about it ahead of time. How is this going to go over? Um, you know, I don't always do that. I've I've said hard things to people or to students sometimes where I immediately regretted it because I said it really directly and maybe kind of harshly without even intending to, but I didn't think about it hard enough ahead of time or I didn't mm-hmm. plan ahead of time. And that can cause unnecessary conflict when you're just trying to help somebody. Yeah. All right. If you have had uh, some truth shared with you and it was it was framed as, I'm going to be brutally honest, and you were the recipient of that uh, that truth and you still feel pain, I'm curious to hear how long you've carried it and what it's what it's done, how it's hurt you or what it's done to your, your psyche. If you would like to share it, We'd love to hear it. I will, of course, make sure you remain anonymous. 877-933-2484. My guest is Dr. Andy Scuttinga. Don't ask me to spell his name. We'll be right back. Okay, here's something exciting. When you sponsor a child with the Ministry One Child... You are linked with a boy or a girl who will know you by name and treasure the thought that you care. Most of them will pray for you daily. And if you write them, they'll write you too. The child you sponsor will receive not only educational assistance, but supplemental food, clothing, healthcare services, and opportunities for personal love and encouragement, and most of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cost is just $39 a month. That's just a little more than a dollar a day. You can't necessarily change the entire world, but what if you can change the world for one person? Sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. Interesting topic today with Dr. Andy Scuttinger. We're talking about a number of things, but right now, if you've been the recipient of someone who started off saying, I'm going to be brutally honest with you, and it turns out the words really hurt, and they weren't truthful, they didn't have truth with compassion, they maybe gave themselves a pass because they came in under the umbrella of brutal honesty, and that just hurt. We'd love to hear about it if you're so willing to share 877-933-2484. David said, I'm going to be brutally honest. I really like listening to Bill, Andy, and Rosie. Let's go out for coffee sometime. <laughs> I'm all for that. That is some That is some good, brutal honesty. I like that. Yeah, I like that. So, if, if <laughs> Brutally honest compliments are always welcome. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? You don't, you, I'll take those anytime you want to send them over. Uh, 877-933-2484. 
And when we want to be loving and we want to be truthful, there is oftentimes a lot of emotion right around this concept of brutal honesty. It doesn't seem like there's ever one of those brutal honest moments when there isn't a lot of emotion attached. I could be wrong, Andy. Yeah, there. It's it's always going to be loaded, right? Anytime you start with something, I mean, brutal is a is a that's a rough word. That's a hard word. It yeah. is. You know, when you hear brutal, you think of you know, like like war crimes or you know <laughs> yeah. someone getting severely beaten up, like in a mugging or something like that. Like that was yeah. brutal. Um, you, you you're not you you know something is coming that's going to be really unpleasant. And so I think when you're hearing that. I know if someone said, Andy, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. My my defenses are immediately up because I, I know, I'm not assuming, I know that there's something rough and unhappy coming that I probably don't want to hear. And if I'm being really honest with myself, I'm probably knowing that it's probably true. Mm-hmm. And I and I and if if I'm really feeling insecure, then it's going to be extra hard to hear that. Yeah. So I'm going to jump to Proverbs 25, verse 11, that says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Or the New Living Translation says, Timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. Yeah. That sounds pretty nice. That's a nice standard to shoot for. It is. And I'm not sure that being brutally honest is is handing somebody a golden apple. No, it's not, but the way in which you go about something has that descriptor yes. attached to it. It's not the oh, totally. it, it's not the message as much as it is the the delivery and the effort. Yeah, the, the delivery makes a huge impact in in any messaging that you have, right? I mean, just the tone of a, of a simple sentence can make a huge difference in how the recipient is hearing what you're saying. Yeah. So, let's go to the other side now. Maybe you've been uh, on the receiving end of this brutal honesty, mm-hmm. and now you've got to do some uh, processing, maybe some self-regulation. There's a big word that psychologists can help under uh, help us understand, where we're trying to control our behavior, yeah. our emotions, and our thoughts, and we're trying to do it in a way that isn't too disruptive and helps us process any truth that comes our way. Yeah, self-regulation is immense in the emotional world. It's much it's much harder to I think it's harder to self-regulate emotions than almost anything else. Maybe maybe that's just for me. Um but I think many of us you feel a rush of, you know, chemicals in your brain and your body. You hear something that makes you angry and it's really hard to regulate that because a lot of our emotions, you know, just come to us um, I don't know too many people who can just immediately calm their emotions. You know, some people are just naturally more calm and, and you know, don't get too amped up about things. And some people are, are live wires in a sense where, you know, if you touch it a certain way, it'll, you know, it'll zap you back. Um, but learning how to control, because self-regulation is another, is a nicer way of saying control, right? Yes. You have to control. We we all have to control our emotions to some degree because we're not, we're not toddlers anymore. And even third, fourth grade kids, they learn this in school, right? They, they learn lessons from the social grindstone, as we like to say at our house. You know, when you, when you have something go wrong at recess and you're in third or fourth grade and you just stop and cry, whether you're a boy or a girl is irrelevant, when you just drop the ball and start crying, 
kids will make fun of you. They'll tease you. They'll call you a baby. They'll, they'll ignore you. They won't pick you anymore. And you begin to learn at that point to self-regulate. Like, I can't act like this anymore. Well, this is, this, you know, we do this as adults, too. We might be very direct with people at work. Maybe we're supervisors and we manage people and we tell them something very directly. And it's hurtful. But we're like, well, you know what? I'm a manager. I have to tell people how this goes. You know, we, we have to learn how to self-regulate and control our even well-intentioned emotional responses to people. Mm-hmm. Well, Andy, let's put some some meat on this bone because if if you are a good self regulator, mm-hmm. there is a probably a good a good chance that you you are responding and then acting in accordance with what you know are your values. Mm-hmm. So you're staying true to those. Yeah, is that a good response to uh, self self regulators? I think so. I think a okay. big part of it is your yeah. I, I think a lot of your emotional content is is certainly tied to your. Your, your moral development, right? If you, if you find the idea of people getting robbed in the street as not terribly morally repugnant, you're probably not going to get very angry when you hear a story on the news like, you know, somebody was, somebody's robbed on the street in broad daylight today. Wow, yeah. that, that really makes me angry because I have an extremely high sense of justice and fairness, and that really makes me upset. And other people will be like, well, I guess don't walk around with your purse. You know, don't, don't walk around with your valuables, because you're asking to be robbed. You know, there's there's different ways that we have of viewing, you know, different things that we see based on our own moral development, our own moral content, and that absolutely impacts our emotional response to things. Okay. If you are a good self-regulator, are you able to calm yourself when you get upset? Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. totally. Okay. Which sounds super simple. But it's not. But it's not. No, no. it's it's terribly, it's, it's really difficult. Um, not terribly difficult, but it takes... You know, it's like a muscle. I think yeah. it's it, it involves practice, and you know, putting yourself into positions or allowing yourself to be in positions where that's tested. Yeah. Um, and so you you may want to encourage people around you. Hey, if you see something or or know something about me that's bothersome that you think would be helpful for me to know, I want you to tell me. And yeah. I'm working on hearing things from other people in a better way. I'm working on controlling my defensive emotions or my offensive emotions, depending on your situation. I think it's okay to let people you trust know that you're working on things like that and Mm -hmm. they can help you. And then it's up to you, of course, to actually make the changes and and work on them. Mm -hmm. And if you are good at self-regulating, are you able to amuse yourself when you're feeling down? (laughs) I that's a really interesting question. Or do, you, or do you say if someone doesn't cheer me up, I'm not cheering up? Or do you say, you know, I'm going to think of a couple of things that have made me uh, laugh in the past or have brought me joy? And oh, there it is. I see I'm what back. you mean. I'm back a little bit. You bet that that I think that is absolutely a great example of self regulation because it's not. I'm so glad you said that, Bill, because it's not just you're not just regulating to to get, you know, come down from something negative or get away from something. You you can use that to bring yourself up or to take yourself down. You know, yes. self-regulation is also about homeostasis, which is getting back to your normal baseline. Yes. So if your normal baseline is a regular, you know, 90 beats per minute heartbeat and you're calm and you're cool and collected and everything's okay, that's what you want to get back to. And when you're feeling pretty low and down, you do have choices about what what do I want to think about and talk about, but... It works the other way too. When you're upset, you can calm yourself down. Yeah. 
We'll take a break. When we come back, more with Dr. Andy Scudinga. He's a psychology professor. We're going to continue to talk about self-regulation, something I think we all need to be reminded of, which is always good. Be right back. Dr. Andy Scudinga, and we were chatting about brutal honesty, and then it moved into self-regulation. Because if you have been told, I've got to be brutally honest with you, and it was truth without compassion, and boy, did it sting, you probably had to do some self-regulation. You had to say to yourself, um, how am I processing this, and how am I going to get on the other side of it? And Mm -hmm. I hope that you do it through spiritual disciplines. I hope you take your pain and suffering to the Lord and say, I'm leaving it right here at the foot of the cross. Yeah. Yep. But a, a great verse came in from a listener. First Corinthians 13, one said perfect scripture for today's discussion. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. Yeah. That's perfect. Actually for this topic, for the, for the presenter of the information. Yes. Yes. If, if you're if you're speaking in anger and not in love, it sounds awful. Yeah. So, Andy, if I'm if I'm good at self-regulating or mm-hmm. maybe average or a little above average, how do I do in terms of persisting through difficult times? Pretty well. Okay. I think um I th- I think it's a it's a really it's a really important tool in in people's emotional toolkit is to learn how to not only control, but understand their emotions. And when you become really self-aware of how you feel in certain situations, you're, you're better able to, to regulate it, right? So mm-hmm. if you're dealing, for example, with uh, you have a lot of anxiety, but you know that you're a generally anxious person and you know the things that cause that anxiety, I think knowing that is really helpful in helping you get back to your, your baseline understanding, oh man, you know, hearing that sort of thing really makes me anxious and worried about what people think about me and how I feel about myself. But I also know that I'm prone to that. And I know how to, I know how to get out of that by focusing on the truth that I heard in the situation and taking it in mind as this, that part was meant to be helpful. And I, and I should process that. I should think about what is my friend or my, what is my family member? What is my boss telling me? The message might not have been great. The delivery might have been terrible. But if if I know that they're telling me this in love, it's a lot easier for me to take that and process that and try to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Andy Scudinga, let's say I just received some brutal honesty. Mm-hmm. And let's just say it, it stung a little bit. Mm-hmm. But isn't uh, a good self-regulator someone that would say, let me do my very best to view this as a, a challenge or an opportunity to grow versus just, boy, did I get stung. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think it's okay to recognize the emotion of it too. Like, wow, that hurt. Why did that hurt so much? Right. Well, 
because it's true. I, man, I, I really have been doing, you know, X, Y, or Z lately, or I have been acting like this. And it hurts to hear you say that. But, you know, sometimes, you know, surgery hurts when you're fixing something that's broken inside. You know, you tear a ligament, that hurts, but so does the surgery, right? And, but you heal from it. And I think that's an important part to consider here, too, is that even when someone's hurt us and they, they meant it to be helpful, but it's hurtful, we, we do have an opportunity to heal from it as well. Mm-hmm. And we have to examine or we have to look at the wound in its in itself and say, okay, this, this hurt and here's how it cut me figuratively. But now I, I've learned something from it and I can let that kind of knit together. And like you said earlier, I give it I put it at the foot of the cross and I say, Okay, God, I I learned something from this. It certainly didn't feel good. Help me to move forward with learning, but also help heal the the hurt that comes mm-hmm. from that. And I th- I think that's a really healthy way to look at things because we're we we all make mistakes and we all have people around us hopefully who can point those things out and sometimes the people around us who love us point it out. Sometimes they're the hardest ones to hear it from. And that 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 can make it complicated too, but we always have to remember or have to try to remember if they're speaking truth in love, it's not going to sound like a gong. It might hurt, but it's not going to be that clanging symbol or that gong because those sounds are really annoying if they're out of context. Yes, absolutely. Now, if self-regulation is important, and it and it is, right? So is this something that we have been taught or is are there strategies for using these skills? Or do you think that we have just kind of lived much of life piecing things together? Like, okay, I'm stressed. I, I was told to take three deep breaths. Yeah. I mean, but what about solid concrete strategies for trying to uh, get yourself through stressful situations? I even think of uh, going to bed at night. If Mm -hmm. you don't self-regulate well, you are exhausted and you lay your head on the pillow and you can't get to sleep and you can't stay asleep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great example. Well, I mean, I talked to a lot of people that say I woke up at 2.30 and didn't get back to sleep. Happens to me once in a while. And I think, well, I'm I'm not self-regulating very well. I'm not saying to the Lord, all right, these are my concerns. I am going to take them to you and leave them with you. And now I'm going to just rehearse the scripture that I've memorized mm-hmm. in my heart and in my head and let me drift off back to sleep. Yeah, that's good stuff. I, I think that's a good response. Uh, m- many people do this, right? I've, I've talked to plenty of people who, they, they, yeah, they do the same thing. They can't go to sleep or they wake up in the middle of the night and can't, can't go back to sleep because their mind is racing uh, they're thinking about stuff. They're they're processing information that they heard, or you know, they're worried about something. There's a lot. There's a lot of reasons for this sort of thing. And yeah, healthy self regulation. You you figure out okay, what what is bothering me, and you learn how to kind of separate it from what you're doing, which is trying to go to sleep. And there's 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 probably tons of strategies out there, but one one key one is just to yeah, deep breathing and relax and try to push that thought away. I mean, you can visualize it in your head. Like you can make a picture of that thought, whatever that thought is that's bothering you. You can mm-hmm. literally, you can, you can wrap it up in wrapping paper. You can put it into a black box in your, in your mind. Of course, this is all figurative. This is all, you know, imaginary in your head, but you can do things like that to put it away and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to put that away and I'm going to go back to sleep and I'm going to focus on sleeping and you can think of positive things or you can count sheep if you want. You know, there's yeah. a lot of other things that you can make yourself think about. 
But anytime that thought comes out of the box again, you shut the lid and say, no, I'm not going to think about that right now. And that I think that takes some practice and skill that you yep. learn to develop. Yeah. Another piece of the puzzle, Bill, is you asked, you know, how do you do you learn it? And the yes, absolutely. And this goes all the way back to child development stuff when you teach babies how to go to sleep on their own. And there's whole books written about child self-regulation. And huh. I think it's for all of you parents out there or pre-parents who are like, hey, we're going to have a kid soon. How do we do this? Here's some great advice <laughs> that is not from my brain, but from many other people's, is you teach those babies how to get to sleep on their own early in their life, how to self-soothe. Because research has clearly shown that babies who learn how to self-regulate and, and soothe themselves to sleep usually fare better in the world with taking care of their own emotional regulation and emotional needs. Mm-hmm. If you if you put your baby to sleep, there's this old method called the Ferber method, which sounds like some sort of soup brand, you know, mm-hmm. like, hey, Ferber soup, right? That's what I always think of, sorry. But the Ferber method is you put your kid to bed, like you do the whole bedtime routine, and then you leave. And if, the, you know, infants, they cry, you go back in 10 minutes and you basically say, good night, I love you. But you don't touch them. You don't go and rub their back or pat their head or shake the crib a little bit or whatever you do. You just say, good night, go to sleep, I love you, and you walk away. And you get it in like 20 minutes and then you do the same thing and then you go 30 minutes. And if they're crying the whole time, you just leave them there. They're going to be okay. Babies are fine. They can cry for a long time. Mm-hmm. But that teaches them that they have to figure out how to go to sleep on their own. And it works. It works. It worked for both of our kids. They, oh. they put themselves to sleep really easily when they were little. We'd tuck them in, say goodnight. And when we leave, we're gone yeah. and we don't come back. And wow. it, it works fantastically. I appreciate that. All right. If I'm a good self-regulator, how easy is it for me to change my thought patterns? Let's say, for example, I send you a text and I say, hey, Andy, do you want to go to uh, dinner this week? And three days go by and I don't hear from you. And I go, well, Andy must be bugged by me or he doesn't like me. Or mm-hmm. or do I say, do I, can I reframe my thought pattern and say, well, knowing Andy, he's super busy and knowing Andy, he probably dropped his phone in the sink and it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> That'd be um, terrible. But can I can I reframe my thought patterns? Oh yeah. Always go. Um, you know, my 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 friend doesn't like me, or or you know, maybe maybe I bug him. And those kind of thought patterns can are not easy to have. And if you don't self regulate, you might just go to a dark place often. Oh, you're absolutely right, Bill. And that is one of the core tenets of cognitive behavioral therapy is changing your thinking patterns. You, you know, you, you talk to, uh, you know, in this, if you're talking to a therapist, they're going to tell you, you, you need to, again, they may not be very like super direct right away, but the point is you need to change the way that you think about these things. Instead of looking at everything as people are out to get me, people don't like me, people are negative towards me, you know, whatever you want to use here. You change that thought pattern around, okay, there could be mitigating circumstances. Like maybe they lost their phone or maybe they're really busy or even maybe they're trying to think of a nice way to say I'm not available for a while and I can't do that with you and they don't know what to do, you know, because some people have a hard time saying no. So there's lots of reasons why you could tell yourself there's more to this here than they don't like me anymore and they they're upset with me. And that's a that takes time. It's it takes practice changing your thinking patterns, but it absolutely can be done. 
Yeah. So if I'm a if I'm a good self regulator, uh, Andy, mm-hmm. there might be a chance that I'm going to accept uh, what's happening and then try to do some problem solving. Yes. And if I'm not very good at self regulating, maybe I will end up just staying distracted or worrying all the time yeah. or just avoiding it altogether. And to me, that would just create more trouble, right? Right. That's exactly what what happens. You, we ideally, you want to be. You want to be the boss of emotions rather than the emotions being the boss of you. And we are emotional creatures, right? We're God is an emotional God. He's got all kinds of different feelings and we're created in God's image. Unfortunately, we are, we have the sin part. So that gets in the way of emotions are beautiful and amazing things. They set us apart from everything else in creation, right? Mm -hmm. But because of sin, they get us into trouble because my emotion is I'm mad because you said something that I really don't like and I'm really upset about it. And so I'm going to go off and let you know how I feel. And we have this emotional reaction and an emotional blow up when if we change the pattern of our thinking to say, you know what, I need to learn how to hear from people things I don't like without getting mad. And you just said something that made me mad. So I'm going to calm down. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to think about what I say. And maybe it's even going as far as saying, you know what, I'm kind of upset by what you said. Can I have a minute to just calm myself down? Mm-hmm. People will people will generally be pretty respectful of that and appreciate and understand that because if they know you're already an emotionally reactive person, they kind of know what's coming already. So they might have been pretty hesitant to even say something in the first place. So it's it's fascinating how these how these dynamics can happen in a relationship and how really small changes can make an enormous difference. Yeah. Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got a question here, Andy. I can't wait to ask you from a listener. So don't go anywhere. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter... Thank you so much becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. If you just joined us, Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest. We've been chatting about a number of things, brutal honesty that came up first half of the show. And then we also have been talking about self-regulating. Andy is a psychology professor. He's not a child or baby psychologist, uh, but he did make a mention about an experience he had raising his own kids. And there was a question that came in about uh, considering uh, other research showing the crying out method for babies contributes to attachment issues. This is something I know nothing about, Andy. So uh, I'm going to just turn it to you and hear what you have to say. Oh, yeah. We talked a little bit about attachment, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe. We did. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I, you got me. I'm not uh, particularly, I'm not familiar with any research showing that that method contributes to attachment issues. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Um, I would probably just, I, I, I would maybe throw this out in response. I think... If you leave your kids to cry for several hours, that's probably pretty bad. In fact, not probably. That, that is pretty bad. I think you have to respond to babies, but 
There's also a language of crying, too, where certain cries you recognize. And when you're putting your child to bed, um, I think that's different than letting your child cry out in the living room after he or she fell and hit their head. You don't let them cry that out. You, you deal with that immediately. Or if it's the hunger cry, you, you feed them. You know, if it's the dirty diaper cry, you feed them. And parents who have had kids or have had babies, you know this. You know that there's different, there's totally different types of cry. You can hear it. And after, after you've heard a thousand cries, you can get pretty good at recognizing which one it is. Yeah. So uh, in response to the, to the, the texture, I would say in terms of bedtime, I, I would say this method works pretty well, and I would let I would do it again that way. Um, our kids don't have any attachment issues that I know of, um, but for other things, yeah, you have to you have to look at the situation obviously and take care of your kids when they're crying about something. I just love that listeners listen carefully. Yeah, and they will raise good questions, and I always want to um, just address them as best I can. I can't oh yeah, always, I can't always address all of them, but it's always uh, nice when one comes in that uh, is is. Uh, directly linked to something you just said and you were able to address it. So thank you for that, Andy. So I want to spend the rest of our time, we only have about 10 minutes left, talking about the significance of time and understanding that significance is an everyday occurrence. Um, So as we do our self-regulation, when I wake up in the morning, I can't spend too much time worrying about two weeks from now, even if I have something important two weeks from now. I can be intentional, I can plan, I can prepare, I can practice, but I can't get too lost in worry and anxiety. And uh, recently there was uh, one of the rock and roll icons, David Crosby, passed away. And the quote that I saw was, don't waste the time. Time is the final currency. Not money, not power, it's time. So true. I, this is weird. I talked about this today in class. I, wow. I feel like everything we've covered today, I've covered in class in the last like four days. Yeah, time is, it, it just keeps marching on. You know, it's one of those constants. Every, every second we live brings us closer to the end, mm. right? And young people don't think about that very often. College students often don't think about that. But yeah, when, when somebody famous uh, dies, I think a lot of people in the world who haven't thought about what happens at the end, uh, it bothers them. And it's really it's really difficult for many people to see a famous celebrity pass away, especially if they're younger. Um, you know, I think of like Kobe Bryant when he was killed in that helicopter crash right. a few years ago with his daughter and uh, and other people who, who weren't famous. I think the fact that he was in that helicopter made it much more powerful for a lot of people because he was, he was an icon of health and you know, human power, you know, being able right. to score, you know, 80 points in a game and dunk a basketball. He was an incredible player and athlete. And, and I think we often look at those people and say they're indestructible, but they're not. And that's a, that's a cold, hard truth for many people. Mm-hmm. So when a famous person dies, I think there is recently David Crosby, of course, um, um, Elvis Presley's daughter, uh, Lisa Marie died. Yeah. I think she was in her fifties or maybe early sixties. Mm. I don't remember, but I, I do know, as that gets discussed, it's I'd say it's always an opportunity for us to engage in that discussion with people yeah. and say, what do you think as you are considering this early death? I, I'd say there's no early death because all of our days are ordained for us before we get one of them, right. according to Psalm 139. So I think people go exactly when God preordained them to go, of course. Uh, we can also use that as an opportunity to say, well, what 
have you thought about death? And a sudden death like Kobe going down in a helicopter crash, uh, when you maybe just have a second to think, this might be it. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you taken the time uh, to think about what eternity looks like for you? Have you gotten right with God? Have you, um, what, what are your thoughts on et- eternal life? Yeah, it's great. It's great opener. Um, that's a great way to share the gospel or at least open up a conversation about what do you really believe? What are we doing here on earth anyway? What do you think about that? Hey, neighbor, what, what, what do you think as you, what do you, what is your purpose here on this planet? Do you think those are, yeah. those are great discussion topics. It, it's kind of an easy, uh, entrance ramp. Yeah. Did you say, Hey, did you see that? I heard Lisa Marie Presley died or David Crosby died. Mm-hmm. Were you ever a fan of their music? I mean, if you grew up in the seventies, I mean, it's when, you know, music apparently was uh, perfected. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably get emails about text messages about that. Oh, but, I, I believe it. You know, there were a lot, there was a lot of interesting music. Uh, CSNY had great harmonies and they produced some interesting music. And so here's a guy that's in the uh, rock and roll hall of fame twice and he's saying yeah. at the end of his life, it's not money, it's not power, it's time. How are you spending your time? Are you making the best use of your time? Yeah, that's that's what those philosophical questions about time are always interesting because sometimes you talk to people and they're like, I don't want to waste a minute of my time, and I don't. And I think Man, I was like playing Candy Crush last night on my Kindle. <laughs> I feel kind of inadequate right now, yeah. and and uh, man, maybe maybe I shouldn't be worried about getting, you know, the the red candy turned into the bag, you know. But on the other hand, we need to do things like that too. It's okay to spend your time doing nothing. It's not okay to spend seventy hours a week doing nothing. Right. Right. So there's yeah. all of these things come into balance. You know how how do you spend your time? I've heard plenty of sermons in my in my middle-aged life of time, you know, are you are you using time for God's glory? Well, I don't think God expects us to use every waking minute to do something super productive because he literally has a day for rest and we have to sleep every night. So there are things that it's okay that we use from time to time. I I I think what I'm trying to do is give myself and a bunch of other people permission to take it easy for 20 minutes. And play some Candy Crush or just stare out your window and look at things or, you know, go for a walk where you're not necessarily thinking about the next work item, but just to go out and enjoy nature. It's okay to do those things. I think yeah. that's a good use of time, too. Well, it's it's important to get to a place where you you let your mind rest a little bit. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, your mind's going 100 miles an hour. Um but here's an example. This just pertains to guys like you and me and Rosie because we live in Minnesota <laughs> and it starts getting, you know, dark at 4.30 in the winter, and it's cold. Uh, yes. And there's some conversation I've heard from time to time of people saying, I just have to endure this until spring shows up. But I always think to myself, are you, are you, trying to, are you writing off three months of the year? No, because that's me. 
I'm so not. You put, so you put a hot tub in your backyard. Yeah, that was a, that was a really smart move. I struggle with winter. I really do. I mean, that's I I know you know we're all over the United States here, and some of you have nicer winters than others. Amen. You know, yeah. My parents are in Denver, so when they get you know, they like to call and say, we got 10 inches of snow and it melted in 12 seconds. And I'm like, ha ha, I've got 74 <laughs> feet of snow at the end of my driveway. So yeah, that's, that's tough. I, I, I am not writing it off, but it is, it is kind of an endurance race, I think, to get yeah. through the winter. And I have made it a priority in my own mind this winter, and it's worked fairly well to complain and talk less about the weather. And lo and behold, this is like one of the heaviest snow winters in a long time yeah. here, for those of you who don't live here. And so that's been hard for me to say, okay, the weather's not that bad, because it is. Well, that's just in the time remaining, Andy, just go back to the understanding of the significance of every day. Yeah. Because, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. And we have today with hope for tomorrow, and we can share our love that we have with others and to be intentional about it and to let people know that we love them and care about them. That's right. And to say, let's not spend time uh, using emotional capital today to worry about tomorrow. Let's just live in, in the, in the day and understand the significance of this beautiful day. Cause this is what we have. This is the 24 hours God's given us. That's right. And on the flip side too, Bill, I would say be careful not to spend too much time in the past either. A lot of people live in the past thinking about old hurts and old triumphs. Like I still think about when I was the high school hero. Well, that's 30 years ago. You know, man, it's time to move on, right? There's yeah. there's, a, there's a time where we look at the past and say, I really enjoyed that or I learned something, but it's not good to wallow in it. It's it's good to move forward too. And so, you know, living in the moment is is hard for most of us because there's old stuff and there's stuff to worry about in the future. And we, yeah, we're forgetting about, hey, you know what? I'm going to go have dinner with some friends or with my family, or I have a great day planned for work tomorrow, and it's going to be yeah. awesome. Yeah. So my thought was if there is a, a celebrity death that is kind of universally known, uh, my encouragement would be to use that as an opportunity to uh, talk to other people because yeah. it's an easy uh, entrance ramp to talk about uh, mortality and faith and uh, where are you. It's a, it's a good conversation. Andy, thank you so much for spending time today. It's been great having you on. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Yeah, have a great evening, and I'll talk to you uh, next time you're on the show. Look forward to it. All right, that is all the time we have for the show. Oh, great show. I loved hearing from Rob Bluey, and Carl Clausen was amazing, and Dr. Andy Scudding has been my guest this hour. If you missed any of it, you can always go to the uh, website, myfaithradio.com. Check out the podcast. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.